Hello everyone and welcome back to the Beyond Crime podcast. I'm afraid there's been a slight change of plans for today's episode. If you would have listened to the previous episode, you would have thought this one was about how to stay safe online. However, today is going to be a guest speaker episode where Caitlin is going to be joined by Paul Britton to discuss forensics and psychology. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Beyond Crime podcast. Today I'm lucky to be joined by Paul. Would you like to introduce yourself, Paul? Oh, hello. I'm Paul Britton. <clears throat> I'm Professor of Psychology, or a Professor of Psychology at Birmingham City University. I'm a consultant psychologist. And how did your interest in forensics and psychology start? Oh, it came to me. Um, I, I'm, my origins, I'm a, a clinician from the NHS, working happily away there, and a particularly difficult crime occurred, a, a murder, double murder in Leicestershire some years ago. And I earlier had a conversation with a senior police officer about what psychologists did. And out of that, I was approached by the senior investigating officer. And I'll never forget the, <laughs> the words. Um, if I showed you a murder and a murder scene, could you tell me anything about the person who did it and my answer was well i don't know and he said well will you come and have a look and i said yes okay and then the last thing that he said is well when you come please make sure you had a big a good breakfast first and i'm all right so the next morning i went off and that was how i was introduced if you like to psychological offender profiling in the criminal sense because I had to go through crime scene, the post-mortem materials, all that had happened, and then invent, if you like, develop what we now call psychological profiling in the UK. Um, I spent several days doing what I had to do, met again with the detective, chap called David Baker. David's not with us anymore, but a marvellous detective. Anyway. Um, I gave him, I think it was a 19-point psychological profile that we would now say, and he went off to talk with his team and had me do the same. Initially, the rest of the team were very sceptical. Their position was very blunt, and it went along the lines of, look, sir, we have been trying to solve this and do this for two years, and we've got nowhere. And you've asked this fellow, to come from the NHS and he's had what two three whatever it is days and suddenly we now have this description can this be reasonable and David um, said well let's do it we've got nothing else and within a relatively few days they were able to lay hands on the map concerned and take him into to custody and then they had to come back because what they discovered was that having had the man and having what we would now call the psychological analysis, they hadn't really got the skills to interview um, a sexual deviant offender at this level. And so the question was, will you go over that with us? And so it was a question of teaching them this form of forensic interviewing, helping them with that. And that in itself led on to teaching the police and other people about forensic interviewing, about the necessary ways of dealing with certain sorts of suspects, 
and that was the beginning of what we now call psychological profiling. Yeah, it's really interesting and sort of how it began and how you've got into sort of that process. It's not something you think about as doing as a career, but it sounds like you're really passionate about it. Can you talk a bit more about sort of the forensic side of it and what you sort of do? Or Oh, um, passionate about it? I'm not sure. Um, it's a pretty terrible thing to have to do. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But for me, it almost always begins with a phone call where someone has been hurt, someone has been murdered, raped, abducted, and the police would be stuck, having difficulties. That's why they need or wish to come to somebody else. <clears throat> me. And then I have five basic questions. The questions are really simple. The answers are very difficult. What is it that's happened? Because what initially comes forward as oh, we have a break-in and a murder, as you begin to unravel it, may not be that at all. It may be that you've got something that wasn't a break-in and a murder, something that was staged to look like a break-in and a murder. And part of the job is understanding and detaching those from each other. How did this come about? So that's the first question. What's actually happened? Second question is, how did it happen? How was it done? What was the method used? And that takes you into the finest detail of what happened in the offence. And in my opinion, sometimes things are missed because this step is brushed over. Uh, it's rushed and it's answered in headlines, but not in the detail that's necessary. The third question, and in many ways, the key question is who is the victim? Very often, victims have been portrayed as sort of straw people. They, if you like, are almost the excuse for the, an investigation for, let's look at this. Really, um, I can't work unless I know who the victim is. If it's a, a girl or a woman, who she is, how she got to be who she was. I, I want to know everything possible about her. Because what I really want to know is why did whoever did this select her? How did she come into this person's orbit attention? And then when I've got to there, I can move forwards or backwards. Fourth question is why? What was the motivation? What drove the person to do what they did? And that is very helpful to me. Some folks don't think you can make much progress in that. For me, it's a key. Remember, I'm a clinician by origin, so that is an important tool. Then the final uh, question is the one that the police want from the very beginning, and it derives from answering all those others, is who did this? What sort of person? What are the characteristics of a person that would have done these different things? And then by using the literature, by using the clinical experience, by using all of these other things, put together, if you like, a psychological description of who might have done this. But the key in here is to make sure that you don't over-egg it. So you don't say to whoever it is you're um, consulting for, here is the holy grail, this is the answer. But at each point, I always have the SIO ask me, well, you say it was this. How do you know? What helps you to know that? So each point must be tested. And I try to give uh, a 
objective probability estimate of the likelihood of each point being accurate. And overall, that turns out to have been quite successful. Yeah, it sounds like you sort of build up a story of the crime and what actually happens. And I'm guessing you collaborate with other forensic departments to sort of build up the whole story, or...? Well, previously, um, I was the head of the Trent Regional Forensic Service, um, into which was nested the Trent Regional Forensic Psychology Service. And I, I led that as well. And you're quite right. The data, the forensic data, has become ever more important. And in one of the very first cases, one of the earliest cases that I dealt with, um, the murder of two uh, young teenage girls in Leicestershire, um, the first conviction that had DNA involved in it, the hard forensic science of DNA was an absolutely crucial element in the uh, capture and conviction of a man called Colin Pitchfork. It's also the case, you, won't, you may have heard of a database called Catchum, the Catchum database. I had the privilege of being asked to help design that. There were two of us, myself and a man called Duncan Bailey, who were tasked by uh, the ACBO committee at the time to put together a database that would aid and help in the investigation and the apprehension of abductors and killers of children. And so we put that together, and it has turned out to be extremely successful, and I'm very pleased about that. Because that means when I'm long gone, nothing to do with anything, that still carries on and does its work and is updated. And at its very beginning, the Catchum database turned out to be a key tool in the conviction of a man called Robert Black for the murder of a series of young girls uh, across the, the land. And the point is that Catchum was able to demonstrate that his practice of abducting someone at one point in Scotland and then travelling 80 miles was very, very unusual. Mm. And it was only because we were able to demonstrate through the database how very unusual this was that that evidence was accepted in the court and played a significant role in the conviction. Yeah, you've really, you've really made your mark on forensics and sort of so the differentiation in all these different cases. Did you sort of notice a difference when forensics became privatised or are you still sort of doing the similar lines of work? Uh, remember, I'm an NHS clinician by origin. So the notion of it being privatised sometimes sits hard mm. because a case calls for something and so you do it. Yeah. Um, I, I try to hold myself away from critique of social policy in that sort of issue. Yeah. Um, for me, the main thing is that you have the highest quality input from all sides and that you fiercely evaluate it. it it's not sufficient to have folks putting their hands up saying, oh, I can do this, I do this. What you need is to follow it through so that every element of it is dispassionately examined and evaluated so that only the best can then move forward to the next stage yeah you, you have to get it right it's sort of that sense of it is riding on the work that you're doing and it's just it's so fascinating for me to listen to i'm doing forensics at the moment um oh, on, on my course and I, i'm really interested in it and 
the work that you're doing and the sort of fundamentally put in. I looked at the Colin Pitchfork case. It's just phenomenal, really. But I won't keep you much longer because I understand you need to head off soon. But I, if you have any questions about forensics, I'm sure Paul will be happy to take them. Sorry, Paul, just putting that out there. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, maybe not today, but very happy to. And I think the other point that I made with you, remember, I'm a clinician by origin. In this dreadful time of lockdown and all of the rest of it, some folks are finding it very hard. Yeah. If people are struggling with that, let me know. I'll see if I can help. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed listening to you. I'm sure everyone else yeah. will as well. <laughs> Thank you. So that's it for today's episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed listening to a guest speaker because we have many more to come. So next week's episode will be on what Brexit means for security studies by Matthew and Caitlin. We'll see you all then.